Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today's sutta is on the Upada Sutta, uh, subtitled uh, An Admirable Sutta. And this sutta teaches the importance of wise association, something that uh, you hear me mention often in class as a, a foundation uh, or a foundational aspect of the Buddhist Dhamma. Uh, and also the importance or, or how that is established in general through the Buddha's authentic Dhamma as preserved in the Sutta Pitaka, restored by me. Um, and specifically that an admirable Sangha, like our admirable friends, and again, we're just talking about people that are focused on Dhamma practice, will integrate the Eightfold Path as that practice. Again, it's the only path that the Buddha taught he emphasized that point over and over again, that this is the path, it's the only path, and it's a, a direct path. I almost said simple, but everybody yells at me when I say that. But it is. <laughs> the Upada Sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying with the Sakyans in Saqqara. Venerable Ananda, the, the Buddha's cousin, had a question for his teacher. He approached the Buddha, bowed, and sat to one side. He asked his his cousin, is it true that having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is half of the well-integrated life? So almost all the translations um, that we hear uh, well-integrated life were referring to a life integrated with the Eightfold Path. So most translations will simply use the word holy. Uh, in, in other words, it is and, and colleagues is half of the holy life. And the reason why I changed that is holy, H-O-L-Y, almost always has the connotation of something that is religious. And of course, the Buddha didn't teach a religion. He didn't teach anything salvific. Really what that word is referring to is, is the holistic manner of the Buddha's Dhamma, meaning that it's well-focused in this way. A more appropriate word, I think, is well-integrated, meaning that we integrate the Eightfold Path. Okay, so that's the, that's the explanation of that phrase, well-integrated life. The Buddha responds, don't ever say that, Ananda. Having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is the whole of the well-integrated life. The holy life, you could say, or the life of the practitioner who has integrated the Eightfold Path. Excuse me. So if we're going to be wise Dhamma practitioners and have admirable friends within the Sangha, and again, the Buddha is not saying don't ever associate with anyone who doesn't practice the Dhamma. Uh, he, he, he didn't do that himself. He, he went out into town every day and interacted with, with the people of his, uh, of his neighborhood and you know the, the people that were populating the Buddha's world, as it were. And he didn't have the uh, global awareness that we have today because of communication, but his... His world, uh, his admirable friends were defined by people that were part of his Sangha, integrating his Dhamma. He continues, the practitioner of my Dhamma who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues 
once that's established, once you're part of a well-focused, well-informed saga, they can now be expected to avoid distraction arising from unskillful associations and pursue and fully develop the Noble Eightfold Path. So, excuse me. I was involved in many different sanghas and uh, monasteries. I took my vows in a certain one. And they, uh, to a a sangha, to a lineage, to a monastery, to a class, they always were were introducing other things into the so-called well-integrated life that had really nothing to do with even what they were teaching. But because it was kind of a, um, a feel-good notion or kind of an altruistic... Uh, we, we might hear a poem that uh, espouses certain ideals and that would be part of the class and that, all that's fine, but it's not part of a well-integrated life. So we don't do that here. One of the rules the Buddha had, the, one of the first rules that the Buddha had for the Sangha is when you come together as a Sangha, you speak only <clears> of the <throat> Dhamma. That is a well-integrated life. And that's what we're talking about, having admirable friends. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't interact with people who aren't Dhamma practitioners, but when we come together as a Sangha and off our cushion, we've established that seclusion of our Sangha. The Buddha continues, listen carefully. Listen carefully, Ananda, and I will tell you precisely how a practitioner of my Dhamma, who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, avoids distraction and pursues and fully develops a noble eightfold path. So you can easily infer that one of the, the uh, main functions of a Sangha is to keep us well-focused on the eightfold path. So again, as a Sangha, we only talk about our, um, our practice of the Dhamma as it relates to the eightfold path. Excuse me. And then our classes are... are focused on what we've developed and the recognition of that. We had a a really great class Thursday of recognizing at the point of contact how Dhamma practice is actually um, developed and how how, how we integrate Dhamma practice. Again, at the point of contact, wise restraint. The Buddha continues, this Dhamma practitioner, one who has wise associations and is practicing the Eightfold Path, This Dhamma practitioner develops right view that is dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation that results in relinquishment. Again, relinquishment from what? From ignorance of Four Noble Truths. You have to understand the context of doing that. But also notice the words that are used here. This Dhamma practitioner develops right view that is dependent on seclusion, on dispassion, and on cessation. Those are all the things that we talk about in this class within the framework of our well-informed, well-focused Sangha and within the framework of the Eightfold Path. It is dependent on seclusion. It can't be done. And again, that describes our, our Dhamma practice, isn't it? The act of jhana meditation first establishes seclusion and then off of our cushion because of our now developing concentration we're able to maintain that well-secluded mind. And so we're able to maintain a well-integrated life without the need to embellish it, that meaning the Eightfold Path, one way or another, based on what we encounter 
with our other associations in life, those associations that aren't related to the Eightfold Path, who might have something very interesting. Or like our, like our teacher Jen, we can integrate a yoga practice or something else that it might have spiritual or religious connotations without embellishing our Dhamma practice with it. Right, Jen? Mm-hmm. See? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is, it is possible, but it's beyond just possible. It is absolutely necessary if we're going to develop the Dhamma. And again, uh, just to use Jen as an example, Jen has many friends in, just in her yoga class, for instance. And I'm sure, knowing Jen, that those friends are also admirable people. But they're not admirable friends in the Dhamma. They're admirable friends in Jen's yoga practice. And again, that's as far as we need to go with it. We don't get into, as Jen doesn't get into, questioning whether yoga practice is can relate to Dhamma practice. There's some aspects that I'm sure can. But there's some aspects where it can't. Again, it doesn't mean you shouldn't associate with yoga or anything else. It just means as far as our Dhamma practice, keep it pure. The Buddha continues, they also develop right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. All of that, again, the Eightfold Path, all dependent on seclusion, on dispassion, on recognizing and abandoning eye-making, and on cessation that results in relinquishment. Ultimate cessation of grasping after, craving for and grasping after views ignorant of Four Noble Truths. Again, we're seeing the importance of wise associations because we can't hope to abandon ideas and ideologies that we're supporting by our associations and now integrating these associations into our Eightfold Path. The Buddha is telling us from 2,600 years ago, don't do it because it can't be done. Then the Buddha concludes that, that statement by saying, let me read it again, just for emphasis, because this is the end of the sutta. This last chapter. This Dhamma practitioner develops right view that is dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation from craving for and clinging to views ignorant of Four Noble Truths that results in relinquishment of those views. They also develop right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation, all dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, that results in relinquishment. We, as, as uh, Dhamma practitioners within this Sangha, we all practice the same thing. Then the Buddha concludes by saying, this is how a practitioner of my Dhamma, who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, avoids distraction and pursues and fully develops a noble eightfold path. The Sangha and the structure of the Dhamma is, a, is designed to avoid the common problem of distraction. And you've heard me say this often, excuse me, that the Buddha could have almost as accurately de- described the first noble truth as saying there is distraction, as saying there is dukkha, because it is the lifelong preoccupation with dukkha that distracts us from this moment and distracts us from having a mindful human life. Then the Buddha says, it is only through fidelity to my Dhamma that one may know, that one may know. The only way to have to have this understanding that one may know that having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is actually the whole of a well-integrated life. Again, from our direct experience is the only way we're going to know it. 
It is first in dependence on me as an admirable friend that those being subject to birth gain release from being subject to birth, that those being subject to aging gain release from being, and again, from the distraction of aging, of being preoccupied with aging, that those being subject to sickness gain release from being subject to sickness, that those being subject to death gain release from being subject to death. So again, the Buddha is not teaching, excuse me, He's not teaching that in some way we can establish an eternal life, meaning related to that last line, that we gain release from being subject to death, from the distraction of being preoccupied with death is what we gain release from, the second arrow. Because every human being is born and every human being is going to die. Take to the Dhamma and awaken because no one knows when. But we are released from the distraction of our own death. That's the ultimate in liberation when we can fully understand that. Every now and then a dhammatier, a student will ask me certain questions and like, are you awakened? And I never answer it directly, even though I'm obviously the most awakened person <laughs> on the team. That was a, one of our teachers that last, left first. And thought, very hey. quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I think a little too quickly. <laughs> The only way that I can accurately answer it, because it is, is I don't, I honestly don't have any fear, especially a fear of death, and I'm close, we're all close, but I really don't, and that, that's remarkable to me, it really, it does allow me to live present in this moment without the distraction of death, but the appreciation of this moment of this human life, and we can't really appreciate this life if, if we have even a shred of fear of death because we're distracted away from that. We have to understand that. Awakening, the best description of awakening is a fully mature human being. A fully mature human being understands what it means to have a human life, and they also understand within that life what it means to lose that life. We all will. And so we appreciate this moment. It is in dependence on me that as an admirable friend that those being subject to sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair have gained release from sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. From those that have gained release in this manner, from dependence on me, one can know having admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues is actually the whole of a well-integrated life. By actually developing the well-integrated life, one can know the well-integrated life, and that's the only way. Thank you. That's today's sutta. Brian, good morning. Morning, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. Um, the thing that jumped out at me this morning was the, um, the cessation was a process, not a destination. Yeah. Um, and in my head, I, I had a a wrong view that cessation was the end of, end all. Yeah. And it's 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 not. It's the it's the relinquishment or the unbinding. And yes. cessation, like dispassion, like seclusion, are all procedural to get to that 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 place of relinquishment. So, yes. thanks for the teaching. Appreciate uh, it. Thanks for that. Well said, Brian. Uh, Doctor Kevin Roach, and I'm assuming that our other Kevin is not a doctor. I don't know him that well yet. So, Kevin R. <laughs> How are you? 
Good. How are this you? This is um, good. Thank you for the teaching. This um, this really is a different way of looking at the three jewels. Yeah. And when Buddha talks about the three jewels, he said the most important jewel is the Sangha. And um, of course, without the Buddha and the Dhamma, you know, it's it's interesting that you can't be wholly integrated without those either. But it is the most important. And thank you, um, friends online and friends in the Sangha for helping me to develop this. Thank you, Kevin. It it is remarkable to me. Every class I noticed this, that because of that uh, well-integrated life that we all share, how supportive we are of each other within the Sangha. Uh, And every class is like that. We share something that is related to that well-integrated life and it supports everyone, including your teacher. Thank you, Dr. Kevin. Uh, Just regular old Kevin. I'm just kidding, Kevin. (laughs) I hope... I hope you're not a well. I, I if you I, I don't hope you are a doctor, and I don't hope you're not a doctor. But you're not a doctor, are you? Doctor. Okay. <laughs> well, good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Um, yeah, thanks for the teaching. It's uh, it's actually nice to be part of the sangha here, and to uh, you know, I think I um, the, the takeaway I have here is about the the message about you know being secluded, and you know the fact that it's in in the Jhana meditation get the space and do the work and kind of get to this passion and you know, see our own thoughts and, and overcome some of the fears and, and look at the rising and the passing of uh, thoughts and our own senses, but that we need others to be able to share the ideas, to reflect back to us, you know, some of the teachings and that. That's yeah. Seclusion is a permanent kind of thing. It's it's an ebb and flow, but having a bright um, environment in which to 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 continue to refine the right views and get out of uh, some of our own thinking. Yeah, I I wasn't sure if you were done, Kevin. Yeah, it it is in just that way. Um, A little bit of an underlying theme that's developing, and and Brian mentioned it too, is is cessation. So awakening isn't a, a static state. You know, awakening is dynamic. It's 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 uh, it's more dynamic than a life that is not well integrated with the eightfold path, because now we are mindfully present for that life. Uh, let me get on to. Um, I can't tell. The, it, Tom, is that you still online, or did you just? Do we? Yeah, there you are. No, it's that's me, not Tom. Mateo. That's Matteo. Hello, Matteo. I mean, uh, psychocular modality. Yeah, Matteo. Matteo's got the got the serial killer look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah, me Jen, too. Me too. Me too. Jen's got it too. <laughs> so, um, I have a question, like related to that when you mentioned about. I'm sorry to mention again, uh, Jennifer, about yoga. And because of, uh, I like to do yoga as well, and uh, to be precise, like the, the asana, so only the uh, the posture. And uh, uh, so I'm very aware because I'm, I'm studying also the yoga philosophy. Too, I'm very aware that I like nothing to do. Very, there is a lot of contradiction between Buddhism and yoga. But uh, what I want to raise, like probably, if you are aware, you're able to to discriminate yeah. which uh, But my question is like, there is not a risk uh, that uh, we can't progress so much uh, in oversimplified the Buddhist path if we also like uh, 
doing yoga or doing something else that is like philosophical related. Uh, as, again, as long as you are well established in concentration, meaning you've established seclusion, you you should be able to separate the two and recognize that something that is similar is not the same thing. And it really, when yoga and the Dhamma are really only similar in our own minds, meaning that they're we, we kind of. Um, mash together these ideas that these are all so-called spiritual pursuits when the truth of the matter is as far as a dhamma practitioner there's nothing spiritual about yoga because there can't be although the underlying philosophy certainly is philosophical but we understand that i would bet mateo and jen please answer the question if i if i got it wrong that you're not practicing yoga for salvation from this life even though you hope that it brings you some physical and mental benefits, that's reasonable to yeah. to assume. But it's it's a it's a different pursuit than the Dhamma, correct? Yeah. Correct, Matteo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it's just that way. It would be the same again. It's just the similarities that um, that the question might even arise. No, no nobody would would uh, think it was reasonable to say as a as a skillful Dhamma practitioner. You can't drive a car. It, it makes no sense, does it? But you could infer from my life that you shouldn't drive a car if you just follow me because I don't drive a car. So is that Dhamma practice? No, it's 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 a practical. You don't want me practical. driving a car. It's practical. <laughs> yeah. So and again, so your yoga practice is practical, isn't right. it? In mm-hmm. that way, our Dhamma practice is practical. It's a it's applied in a. It's also it's, what's it's a practice. happening. It's what's happening, and it's what's in your life. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's part of. It's just part of my experience. You're not adding yoga because you have doubts of the practice. Yeah, or you think it's necessary because there's something lacking in the in the dhamma. Yeah, so I'll add this. Yeah, I'm not adding to it. It's all about what's going on in your head and your attachment to yoga and your intention. Yeah. Mm All of those things. So I would imagine doing yoga is also about self-accountability in terms of separating the two. This is my practice and and this is... And just like going further to what Mateo's question was, I mean, I feel like if you, you know, were to... Then it's total hypothetical, but if you were to decide to pursue the Dhamma... In a, in a, you know, more, uh, more of your life, you know, you, you were in the place where you could abandon, you know, a job and driving a car and being able to constantly practice and focus. Other things might fall away, but that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such an, an important point that Jen made. It, it it is just it's what it's what you happen to be doing in your life right now. That's all, and for that matter, the dhamma or dhamma practice is what we happen to be doing in our life right now. Mm. And so therein, then the the question then is, what is the priority? So if you find that your yoga or your your want your desire to just drive or play golf or anything else is infringing on your practice. You need to look at that mm. because that's 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 the, your dharma practice telling you 
you know, you need to make a little room for me. You know, let's let's do it. But again, that that these are um, choices that mature human beings are able to make and make the and, and clearly show the distinction between their own activities. So, so a, a great uh, a great thing you brought up, Matei. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about that? Well, my point was just to highlight to be aware. No, so I mean, like you can do yoga, you can do anything else, but just yep. be aware that. It, Dharma and um, you know it also like I don't know if it's right maybe it's, it's not right towards the yoga people but to take what you think it can be good you know you know you say okay I can do only the yeah yeah that's that, that, that's right yeah, but, yeah maybe it, okay maybe yoga people they will think it's very disrespectful because it's the same when you find some people that they find super weird when you say like I'm Buddhist Christian. Yeah. No, it's, it, this stuff is so weird because it's how you can be Buddhist and Christian. I mean, like yoga, you can, you know, you can split it. You can say, okay, I take the body part. I don't take the mind part. I don't take the philosophy. But Christian, it's all inclusive. No, you take the package. And so you can say like, oh, I believe in uh, dukkha and impermanence, but I believe in God. So it's, it's you know, there's a lot of confusion about that, I think. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, th- I used the phrase uh, a Christian Buddhist. I think it was Saturday before Easter, just to relate to the to the holiday. And I, I'm sure there's many people in our sangha that uh, that are practicing Christians at the same time developing the Dhamma. And again, I wouldn't say you can't do it. I would say it's probably difficult to do, especially when you are recognizing the difference between uh, and making a kind of a key. Uh, central theme of your life that salvation is not what we're here for and then engage in something that the whole point is salvation but again that's not up to us as dharma practitioner or even as members of the sangha to say you can't be a christian if you develop the dharma or you can't drive cars and develop the dharma it's the same thing it's up to the individual to be able to separate that so the Mm -hmm. wise dharma practitioner who is fully developing the dharma might choose to go to church on Sunday because their whole family is, and it's a family activity. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. What, as, as Dharma practitioners, we also understand the importance of uh, the tacit approval that our participation in something can give. But again, that's, that's a very subtle thing. Um, and what I'm talking about it has nothing to do with going to church with your family. But it might be associating yourself. Um, I always get myself in trouble when I point these things out. I won't use this. But you might be part of an organization who that the structure of the organization might be, or might at least pretend to be, uh, altruistic when ultimately they engage in some things that aren't that are hurtful towards other people. And we can all think of. I don't need to name those. And so that would be a it's something that would give me some. Uh, pause to 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 think about do I want to be part of an organization that might do some good works on Monday but on Tuesday they're 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 talking about hating different groups no I don't want to be a part of that because of that the the second part I don't want to associate and give tacit approval to someone that might be doing a little bit of good but is actually engaged in a in an organized way of hurting people so you know that that's where uh, a mature mind takes you know, uh, takes over and says, "No, I'm not going to approve of that." 
But in general, if we're engaged in, in um, as wise Dharma practitioners, we're going to be living. We're, as wise Dharma practitioners, we're going to be living a whole life and we're going to, be, going to be engaged in things that everybody engages in. We'll bring our Dharma practice to that. And so Jen mentioned this too. And some of us, most of us will begin to simplify our lives and cut some things out. And some of them might be religious or spiritually inclined. But again, that's not, um, it's not a rejection. It's just a practical application of our Dhamma practice. So again, thank you, Matteo. Do you have anything else you'd like to say on the subject? Oh, good. Because I wear the mask, I can't talk now. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see you have the mask on. Um, and when are you moving to Scotland? Uh, no, I'm already in Scotland. I need to move to the new town, I think, in a couple of weeks' time. A couple of weeks. Wow, okay, so we've got to have a retreat there next year. We'll have our summer oh, retreat in Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> okay, well, okay. <laughs> all right, we're all in. See, everybody, everybody's in, so mm-hmm. thanks, Matteo. And yeah, then we can do every other year. You yeah. Know, we can do a European Ooh. retreat. And yeah, and it would have to be in the summer if we're going well, to Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I haven't been. Scotland is hello, a Becky. Two weeks of hello, hello. Scotland is a good place for a retreat. Let me just throw that out there. <laughs> Our friend Larry just came she back. Want to go outside? Time. That's why. <laughs> um, thank you for the teaching, John. I'm very happy to be back here. Um, and just being away for a week uh, and coming back. What's going on? Really, uh, can't keep the connection. <clears throat> shows me the importance of the Sangha, like everyone has just discussed, and the importance of seclusion to regain your dispassion and your ability to not take things personally. Yeah. <clears throat> just for me, um, being away for just a week and it's amazing to me, for me personally, how quickly I can go back to having that mind state that is so unpeaceful. Yeah. Well, you and, know it uh, now, right? I know it now. Yeah, yeah I know it now, which is which is helpful very helpful because when you get back <clears throat> when you realize that you can develop the right intention immediately you know what you need to do and when you do it it it, it everything falls back into place easily so thank you thank you Becky thank you Sangha yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you Sangha Good morning, Mary. So Good nice morning, to have you back Dad. here. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, like when we're on retreat, it's an opportunity for, uh, you know, right speech and um, uh, being in that environment with other people that are focused on the same thing. Yeah. Um, certainly is. I don't see how you could do this without it, you know, yeah. for sure. Um, so it is a very important part. And then I just wanted to say about the Sangha, I'm often um, 
I don't know what the, it's, I find it very interesting that sometimes some of the the reflections that people share are very different than where my head was thinking, listening to the same thing. And so I think that's also another enrichment of being a part of the sangha. Oh, yeah. Just where, and, and of course, it's also telling where other people are, right? Because yeah. what comes out of your mouth is the state of your mind, if you will. And um, so it's always, uh, it's always a learning experience to be part of the sangha and listening to what other people's contributions mm-hmm. are as well. So thank yeah. you for the future. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, it's so important. I, I had a very nice solitary practice, uh, re, just remarkably awakened in my state uh, before I was asked, uh, I was in the building right next door to this one, that I was asked to start teaching a meditation class. This wasn't something I intended to do. And as I started teaching and continue to teach, uh, I understood the Dhamma in a way that I never could have just applying it to myself because I'm, I'm able to and we're all able to, to gain uh, insight from everybody else's experience. Uh, and again, I, it, if it wasn't for this well-focused and well-informed Sangha, uh, I, I wouldn't have the understanding, I wouldn't have the peace and calm and the elimination of fear. Uh, well, I, I, I was pretty fearless before that. Uh, when I when I was had my my solitary practice, the understanding broadens by listening to all of your and I'm talking just from my point of view, listening to all of your application of the Dhamma, which certainly isn't mine, and they 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 and they wouldn't be have been my experience because it's your life, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right it. <clears throat> But because we're participating at such an intimate level, and an intimate like an intimate level that is also safe because it's framed by the eightfold path. None of, nobody feels, at least those that have been here for more than one class, nobody feels like they're going to be attacked here in any way. Mm-hmm. We don't have to keep our guard up in this room. We know it. Mm-hmm. As soon as you walk in the door, you feel it, or even if you're online, you feel it. You know this is a place of refuge. And that's how the Dhamma works. And it's established, again, through the Dhamma. It's not a, there's not a sign out on a door or, you know, before you, you are now entering true refuge. We know it. We don't have to, we don't have to make the point about it. We feel it. We experience it. Uh, and it's part of the Dhamma practice. So thank you, Mary, for, for that part. Dhamma teacher Dave. Hello, John. You think about the three gems and you have the example of the Buddha and these teachings and what the Sangha does is it breathes life into these teachings and as Mary said you see the gradations of where people are you know on Thursday we saw someone in grave doubt yeah and on Tuesday you saw some joyful engagement and that all leads to a level of compassion that the Sangha has for each other, not for any other purpose than to be compassionate, not yeah. to be seen as someone who's compassionate, but it's just, I think what you were saying, that altruistic, it becomes a true altruistic, it's compassion, yeah. almost like an invisible compassion. Yeah. An organic outcome. Yeah as a result of the practice. Yeah.
Thank you, David. Yes, the, the Buddha's words, it is out of, out of sympathy for others that we teach and practice the Dhamma. True sympathy. You know, in order to really be sympathetic towards others, we have to understand what they're going through. And the only way to understand what other people are going through is to have that experience yourself. Good morning, Dhamma teacher Jen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, so I, I feel like what the Buddha is saying in the sutta is... The Dhamma is a practice, a personal, private, internal practice develop, developing full, full human maturity, self-awareness. Um, and that requires concentration that is supported by other individuals who are also engaged in that practice and also that the Buddha understood that ignorance and the human condition is that we want to pull in our people. We want to pull in our practices. We want to pull in, we want to identify and merge everything we do and think so that we can I make around it. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and that's why we we have to we have to make it ours in a personal way. Right. We have to yeah. oh, now I belong to this thing. Now I have to pull in all my other things to also belong to this thing. Because I personalize so I those build, things. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, so yeah. I can build myself up. Clinging, clinging, so clinging. So he's warning against that. He's saying you no, because that's just a dis- more distraction from your practice. Yeah. Your practice is drop down Look at what's going on. Look at how it's causing you stress. Look at how it's getting in your way of taking really care, true care of yourself, taking true care of your people. And then you can, once you're fully integrated, then you can engage in whatever it is you need to engage in to take care of yourself. Yeah. Which is not just Dhamma practice. Yeah. You have to eat food. You have to move around. You have to like go check on your people. You know, so and that requires a fully developed Dhamma within you. That's all. That's that's, yeah. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jen. Write mm-hmm. that down. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Good thing we're recording this. Yeah. <laughs> Dhamma teacher Ram. Um, one of the things that I, I got out of this sutta was that uh, the Buddha's saying that to another that you, you can't really separate out the Sangha from the three jewels mm-hmm. they're you know in, in, in that way mm-hmm. the Sangha is the whole because the Buddha is the whole and the, the Dhamma is the whole too Those, yeah. you, can't, you can't split them out Mm-hmm. They all depend on each other. Without mm-hmm. a sangha, there is no practice. Without 
the Dhamma, there is no practice. And without the Buddha, there is no practice. And right now, it is independence on the Buddha that we're all here. Right. And it's not, it's not a stretch or a, yeah. uh, a nice notion. It is. You know. So, so yeah, Ananda's trying to say, hey, you know what, this Sangha, this, it's a big thing here. And the Buddha say, no, 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 no. It's not, they're all big things. Yeah. It's all, it's, this is all integrated. Yeah. There's, there's, there's that no, word again. There is no separation between these three jewels. And if we insisted that this was holy, it misses the whole point, that this is a mm. well-integrated practice. Yeah. Holiness sep- separates holiness separates me as an individual from most of humanity. I'm holy, you're not. It's or there's a hierarchy yeah, in that it's holiness. Even. Yeah. Mm. It's the, anytime we put a label on ourselves, but that's certainly a big one. That, mm. uh, and it's, a, it's one that we use to, to mask our own uh, issues. That you know, I'm I'm a holy person, so I'm good to go. Yeah, I used know? to be a holy person. But don't look at the things that that make me less than holy. I was well, the Buddha starts out with, "We're all less than holy, and we can become holy by integrating the eightfold path." Right. And and again, keeping keeping that that pure. It's just a, it's such a um, it's another one of those simple things that are very very difficult to do. And it is really probably the major issue is people clinging to other ideologies and not being able to resolve them in the Dhamma that causes people to leave the Dhamma rather than the other way around, rather than question the things that it's questioning and bringing up for us. uh, I can tell you that everything that the Dhamma brought to mind to me that was no longer serving me and I let go of it, I never missed any of it, none of it. Uh, all right, any other questions or comments about today's class? Okay, we'll finish as we always do with Meta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. Unite your mind and body in seclusion. These are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. 
by not holding the fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, <clears throat> and being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.